0: we've heard Paul remind us to not go backwards, to not, to not fall back into the old ways having to do with keeping the law. And there's certainly a principle of, of things other than that uh, to apply, lots of ways that we ought not to go back as well. But I think in chapter 6, he's going he's to take one theme, the theme of, of learning to do good to people. Um, we were talking when I was in El Salvador with one of the small groups and they were talking about that God is good all the time and I I agreed with them I said but we have to learn to expand our definition of good you know When, when things are great then it's easy to say God's good when things are not great it's much more difficult to say he's good so the definition of good has to be a biblical definition, not a not a personal preference definition. My personal preference is to have no difficulties, and I'll be faithful to to make sure and praise Him that He's good. It's more more difficult, much more difficult, when when the bottom falls out or when the the, the challenges of life uh, present themselves, and then our definition of good has to be expanded a more biblical look at good because we trust him but he that is Paul in chapter 6 is going to give four main instructions in this in this pretty short chapter 18 verses or so four four ways to do good to somebody so I want to read the whole thing if I can and 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 then get us into it he says brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also might or may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand? Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Well, the first one I think shows up in verse number one, the first instruction. He says, do good for somebody who got caught in a sin, who got involved in a sin. You need to turn to John chapter 8, verse number one. John chapter 8, verse number one. Many of you know this story. It's the story of the woman caught in sin. And she's presented to Jesus. By a bunch of Pharisees. It takes place at the end of the Feast of the Tabernacle. Everybody was packing up their tents and heading home. And Jesus is sitting in the outer court around the temple called the Court of the Women. And he's confronted by these teachers, the Pharisees. Now they're, not, they're really not interested in the woman hardly at all. What they're trying to do is trap her. So let's look at the story. It says in uh, verse number 1, Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them, which would have been the position of of authority. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Hey, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses command or the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women what do you say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him Jesus leans down and starts writing in the ground with his finger when they kept on questioning him he straightened up and he said let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her again he stooped down and wrote more on the ground at this those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first until only Jesus was left The woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up. He asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, in our culture, um, we love this live and let live kind of mentality. You know, no skin off my back. If it's good for you, it's good for whatever. Who cares? Uh, Not something necessarily I would choose, but let's not get hysterical. Um, We hear a lot of this... um, uh, don't don't judge uh, uh, let's not be in the process of judging each other and and often they turn to this passage of scripture as justification for that so let me take a, just a minute to kind of kind of uh, teach a little bit about this this story because we need to arrive at the conclusion that we're supposed to be doing good for someone that's involved in sin this woman clearly is caught in adultery now first off how did they catch her Stop and think about that for a
1: minute. Set her up. Yeah, they
0: set her up. So, so many of the men in that particular area, we don't know exactly where she's from, set her up. The guy that's with her was part of the gig. They knew where she would be. There were people watching to, 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 to be there at the right moment. So they're out on the, on the streets, uh, giving the little hand signals. All right, she's in. Okay, give them a the minute. Okay, let's break in. Okay, they grab her and drag her out. They don't drag out the guy. They only drag out her. Now, I put in your notes, and we don't have time today, but I, I would love to encourage you to, to look at them. There's some, there's some key scriptures involved in this story. The first one, of course, is in Exodus 20, the listing of the, of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. She's guilty. Okay, fine. Deuteronomy 22. Purge evil from Israel in the context of sexual sin. It's not a good thing. It shouldn't happen. It should be purged. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15 says, it takes two witnesses to condemn. So you can't accuse someone of something unless there are two of you, eyewitnesses. Um, And then in Leviticus chapter 20 the scripture says that both the man and the woman are to be judged and when found guilty both are to be stoned and then in Deuteronomy 17 the idea is that only the sinless witnesses, in other words, you couldn't be a witness if you were a participant and, and, and so if you're not a participant and you're a witness, only they are the ones that actually get to throw the stones to stone the person that needs to be killed Now, go back to our story. Who's dragging this woman to Jesus? Likely the crowd, if not all, to a large extent, is made up of the co-conspirators. Maybe even the guy who was involved with her is standing there. Certainly the ones who broke in and drug her out, who had to have prior knowledge, are standing there. They're making the the loudest voice. Jesus handles the technicality parts about, okay, do we have two witnesses that were not participants? Couldn't find them. He says, all right, let's start the stoning. The ones who can stone are the ones who are not guilty of the sin. Nobody picks up a stone they start to walk away from the oldest to the youngest. What does that tell you? <laughs> the conviction. So he ends up at the end of this story, he says, by saying to the woman, uh, where are they? And has, has no one condemned you? He's asking a technical legal question. According to the law, is there anyone that can fulfill the law here and we can do business according to the law? And the answer is no. Because by participation, none of them met, you know, met the, the criteria. So instead, what he says then, on a legal technicality, then neither do I condemn you. And that story could have stopped right then. Barb, would you mind closing that door? Would you mind closing that door, Sherry? Thank you. The story could have stopped right then. The technicality of the legal criteria were not met, and therefore this woman should not be stoned. But the story doesn't stop there. What does he say? Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, if the story stopped at go now, we have a problem. He could have just dismissed her on the legal technicality. Now we can't finish the... The process, because we don't have all the the criteria met, but he doesn't. He goes one step further looks into the depth of her soul and says, go and sin no more. Cut it out. Stop. So, in our culture where we want to do the, we'll just live and let live, clearly Jesus is not of that mindset. The Lord tells us over and over again in the scripture to, to judge sin. And if we don't like that word judge, okay, our culture doesn't like it. So let's put in a, a couple of other words. Evaluate, properly identify, avoid minimizing. So, so when, we, when we catch ourselves telling a lie, what is uh, often the self-talk? It goes kind of like this. Well, that was, that was a little white or we say that was a good lie I needed to do that (laughs) there was good that came from that lie you're all laughing so you get that point already Bible says in the New Testament if we offend the law in one point we are guilty of the whole thing But we love to do that, yeah, but mine is not as bad as. Or I had a good motive, or there's a good set of reasons. The context for this minimizes. The truth of the matter is we didn't tell the truth. We don't like that word judge, so use properly identify. You know, or avoid minimizing. Over and over and over again in the scriptures in Romans and, and in 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 3 and Titus and 2 John. We are told to take appropriate action in the face of unrepented sin. Now, key word there is unrepented. When your kid comes and says, Mom, yesterday, when you asked me where I was with my friends and I told you we were at church, I lied okay confession he says and mom it was wrong and I was just trying to get around we wanted to go out with some friends we'll get, we, you know, we went to In-N-Out I got a double-double It's still I shouldn't have lied to you and I'm not going to do that anymore hey mom uh, let's put that thing on my phone where you can track me where I go because I don't want you to ever think I'm going to lie to you again that is repented sin he called it called. Yeah, don't we all? He called a sin a sin, and then he turned from it. He did the 180. He didn't even leave the door open for it to happen again. He, he repented. Or, or the husband who comes home and says to his wife, I'm having trouble with pornography on the road. And it's not good, and it's not feeding my soul, and it's messing with our relationship. It's messing with my uh, understanding of women. It's not good. So honey, I'm going to put the software on. Come watch me. I put the software on now. Every keystroke I make is mirrored onto your computer. I will never do anything on my computer that you can't see. That's repentance. That's it. it was calling it what it is, and then turning from it, going, "Well, no, I'm not going to leave room for that anymore." So the point being that when there is repented sin, what is the response of the believers to the other person? Do good for someone who repents or was revol- was involved in sin and repents. Too good for them. The King James version of 6.1 says, "He that is spiritual among you, restore such a one." It takes some some character, especially if you've been the one lied to or wronged, to to turn and and allow them to be restored in relationship it needs to go right back to the good place it was before they did that we don't get to say we don't get to keep looking at them where where, where were you took you a little longer to get back to my kid took you a little longer to get home you sure or to our husbands honey sure no Mm." We, we have to restore put them back into place we've looked at the sin we've called the sin what it is it's been repented and we need to move on Our responsibility is is to restore it. The message is stop it. That's God's message. He didn't look at this woman and say, I know, it's tough in this town. Man, those
1: guys.
0: (laughs) He didn't do that. Probably was tough in that town. And those guys all needed to be stoned themselves. But what he did was he looked at her and said, cut it out. Don't do it anymore. Stop it. But then the responsibility on us after the message of stop it has been given is to restore once there's repentance. Now, a person who just stiff-arms you, that keeps lying to you or keeps this or keeps that, that's a different scenario. But what we're talking about is the restoration of relationship. The ability to to do good for someone who's been involved in sin. When I was down in El Salvador, they were talking about our pastor at one point in a very encouraging building up kind of way and one of the people said the thing I love about Pastor Jet is he is as harsh he is in the same degree harsh on sin and deep in his love to the repentant sinner now think about that for a minute equal proportions of harsh on the sin let's get rid of this it's not doing you any good cut it out but with that same intensity, turns and restores such one to relationship. Too good for someone involved in sin. That might include yourself. I've gone to meddling, huh? Let's assume some yuckies have been a part of your life. And you came to a place where you got it, and you repented of it. You went to the Lord, and with a brokenness, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm I'm done. Did you restore you to the rightful place you were at prior to, or did you make you keep paying for it? There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction leads to, oh, I need to stop that. Or start it. Condemnation is just that little wheel the gerbil runs on. And we women are really good at running on the wheel. If I were to ask you to take out a three by five card and tell me your sin, you would write for a while. And it would not take you long to start. <coughs> We are very hard on ourselves. And we should be. Sin should be dealt with. Not, not giving us an easy pass. But once it's dealt with, once it's, 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 there's a conviction, and, and there's a dealing with it, and there's a repentance, and there's a walking away, cut yourself some slack. You with me? He says, do good, especially to the household of believers. And I would say, and especially to yourself. Let me give you the second one. Down in verse number 2. Back in Galatians. 6-2. He says, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. I gave you a separate little piece of paper. I want you to pull that out. And while you're doing it, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I think I've mentioned this before, and, and probably you've heard it preached at some point or another. But in Matthew chapter 5, in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving uh, some examples of how they're supposed to behave. And in chapter 5, verse 41, um, he's, he's, the context is, you know, the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says, uh, I tell you, do not resist the evil person. He slaps you on the one cheek, turn, let him slap you on the other cheek he wants to sue you and take your shirt, give him your coat. And then in verse 41, he makes reference to a a law that the Roman uh, uh, oppressors had in place. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now the idea here is if a Roman soldier showed up in your town or village, his backpack and all of his junk that he normally carried, by law, anyone that he would designate had to come and pick that up and carry it one full mile. So the idea is, you know, get him out of town one full mile. By law, add to. Now what Jesus is saying, no, 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 let's let's go one more one more step. In fact, let's go one more while A mile rather. So if he asks you to do one, do two. In the context of carrying one another, one another's burdens, I wanna I want to bring your attention to these to these a hundred different verses in the New Testament where there are at least 59 clear commands on, on how we're to relate to one another. Some of the commands are positive, you should do these things, and some of them are negative. Don't, don't, don't treat each other this way. Just glance down at that list. So love one another shows up at least 16 times. Be devoted to one another. Friendship should not be so shallow that we can't take a hit or two. We're devoted to one another. We can take a lot of hits. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony. Build one another up. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourself. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. And so on. Who's going to be around your Thanksgiving table Anyone that needs a little of this? Well, I'm really getting nasty, huh?
1: Today. you let me
0: be gone a week, this is what happens. I go for your throats. Carry each other's burden. It's not just talking about physically doing something for someone. Although, that's wonderful little little thoughtfulnesses are wonderful to, to receive. but, but he's also he's also talking about all these other things. Be patient with and be kind to and consider them better than you and look to their interests and you know carrying one another burdens. I, I don't think it's an accident that he's got this unbelievable list that shows up over and over and over again in the New Testament carry one another's burdens. When someone's hurting physically, emotionally, psychologically, relationally, um, it is so sweet when, when one or more come along and pick you up and you don't have to walk. It is so refreshing when you're struggling through something to have someone just sit there they don't have to say anything. They don't have to give you a boatload of advice. Just sit there. Or hand you a cup of tea and stare off into the sunset for a little while. You've all been on the receiving end of that. I know you have. How glorious to go do it for someone else. So that's my challenge to you this next week is figure out somebody that you can carry their burdens for for a little while. There's a third do-good. It shows up in verse 7. Back in Galatians. Verse number 7, he says, uh, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. There is a principle that shows up in this part of the, the passage, the principle of sowing and reaping. It is so important. It's a natural process. It started in the book of Galatians. If you looked at chapter 1, it, it, it says, you know, let the land produce vegetation. Let the process start. That You sow something, you give it time, it, 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 it produces something. Sowing and reaping Takes time, and and when we reap, we reap what we sow. You don't you don't put you know, in my case, radish seeds out there, and voila, there's you know a cantaloupe. Uh, radish seeds produce radish. Uh, cantaloupes produce cantaloupes. We reap also in proportion to what we sow. Two little seeds and maybe one little 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 plant, but if you plant a lot of the seeds, whoa, look at that, radishes everywhere. That is is such a spiritual principle as well. When we're stingy with our love, and it's only proportionate to what we get, we reap a very narrow harvest. Have you known some people that they they just seem to gather people to them, and there's just love flowing everywhere? It's because they were an active sower. They were sowing in people's lives. They paid attention. They cared. They responded. They listened. They shared. They whatever. And then and then look in another season. Look look what what reaped. All those people caring and and being sweet and kind and coming to their to their whatever. But it only happens when we are actively doing the sewing. When it's just us and and our family. If it just. Our three, uh, we're, uh, I can't do anything else. This is it. Our family, close the door quick. They'll see us.
1: You know, the garage
0: door goes down before the car's all the way
1: in.
0: Okay, I get it. I'm a monk at heart. I am. Monkus.
1: I'm
0: a monkus at heart. I am. But I have been on the receiving end of an, an amazing amount of love. And it's so sweet. But there has to be there has to be some sewing. You gotta listen in church when they say that family over there is struggling. You gotta actually go do something. You can do it quietly, you don't do it you know, with fanfare, but you gotta do something. You gotta slip them a hundred dollar bill when they're not looking. Just before this it talks about when when uh, somebody receives instruction, here back it up here. Verse number 6. The one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. Yes, they should. Bring it on right here. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But, But, your pastor gets beat to death. Beat to death. Before he can get off the pulpit and get to his car, he's been 50 times whacked.
1: It's
0: the truth. So, so when was the last time he slipped him a little note with a with $100 bill in it? It says, take your wife out for dinner somewhere where nobody knows you. Oh. Or his wife. Oh my goodness. We hold her to such a standard. She can't do anything right. If she cares for herself, you know that's all she does—a pamper so. If she doesn't care for herself, look at that old hag!
1: <laughs> she could
0: use a dance floor, don't you
1: think? <laughs> what?
0: True. She buys a new outfit. Where did they get that done? <laughs> she doesn't buy a new outfit. Oh man, she really needs it. You know, somebody ought to take her down an order. I'm telling you, she can't win. Right? A little, a little sowing and a little reaping. A little encouragement. A little note. And it, and it doesn't have to be a big deal. We tend to do the, oh, okay, we got to wait till we have enough money to send them away for three days. And, no. An in and out card might work. Mostly a note. Can I encourage you, this week, Thanksgiving's coming up. Write five notes. Go to go find some note cards and take. Don't type it. Don't email it. Don't text it.
1: <laughs>
0: Write it. At least three lines. <laughs> Those are so precious. I have a drawer in my in my desk in here, and I call it my encouragement drawer. Because there were always days in my administration when I got beat up. Mm-hmm. And then the worst of those, I went to the encouragement door. Mm-hmm. And I pulled out three or four notes. I just put some that I got from y'all in, in, my, in my thing a week ago, in my door. We all need it. Don't you just bawl like whatever when your kid scribbles a note? And you kept it, didn't you?
1: <laughs> you went in something.
0: <laughs> of course you did your husband ever broke down and actually wrote you a note you can
1: go. So go do
0: it for somebody else. Five of them. Sowing and reaping. It's our responsibility to do good to all people, especially the believers. And don't stop doing good even when you're weary. I did not want to go to El Salvador this time. The first time, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I was kind of up for, it was kind of adventuresome, whatever, you know. The second time, I knew darn well what I was in for. <laughs> and I was tired, and I didn't really feel good. And I knew it was going to beat the snot out of me, and it did. It did. And one, one night, I was they had a little book club there. They have to read all kinds of stuff. Man, these guys. And they were reading the book, and I happened to know the book, and so they asked me if I'd sit in the book club. I said, sure, I'd have to do And so they were talking, and one of the kids said, you know, when I go home and my responsibilities of church, I already know that Friday nights is not the nights that I want to, you know, they're youth group or something. And I, and I really, I know that it's going to be hard for me to want to go. I want to just go to a coffee shop and meet with my friends. And, you know, I really don't want to do that. And, and I'm just really praying for the spiritual whatever. And I stopped him. And I said, buddy, let me just give you a little personal, practical advice. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to memorize 12 more scriptures about it. You you don't need to call 12 friends and ask them to hold you accountable. You need to show up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: There is a lot in spiritual things that that is built off of just showing up. I think that's what's being taught here. Don't stop doing good even when you're weary. Mm -hmm. Show up. Don't do it just when you feel like it or when it feels good... Or when it's comfortable or it matches your gift set. You know, show up. I promise you that's when the sweetness of God shows up. Certainly did for me on that trip. I am so glad I went. I'm glad I showed up. So there's a fourth one, a fourth do good in this passage. Starts down in verse number twelve. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boasting in the right thing. Doing good by boasting in the right thing. Um, their focus was to make a good impression on the outside. And that was by being circumcised. So if all the males were circumcised, they could step back and say, look at us, good Jewish boys, we did what was in the law, we went to second aisle, we all got circumcised, yeah, 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 look at me. And and, and Paul's very clear in verse 13 that he, he talks about this as boasting about the flesh. The stuff you do In the flesh. And remember, we contrast ourselves by the spirit versus the flesh. Yes, I have a flesh. I am still hauling it around. One of the sweetest pictures I ever got was a guy who was preaching, and he said, really what we're doing is dragging around a dead body. This side of glory, we're just dragging along a dead body. And we keep acting like it's going to jump up and do great things. And really, the flesh is just a dead body right? We keep expecting something amazing to happen out of this flesh, and it ain't. And on the other hand, we have the Spirit that came to be a part of us when we came to Christ at our point of salvation. And now the the flesh wars against the Spirit every single day. And who wins? Whichever one we fed. If we feed the flesh... The dead body kind of bounces along a little while. (laughs) Looks like it's getting revived. We feed the Spirit, then the Spirit wins. How do we do that? Lots of ways. The center of which is the Bible that's in front of you. When we're in God's Word, when it's refreshing us, when we're memorizing it, when we're meditating on it, when we're sharing it with each other, when we're thinking about it, when we're applying it, mm, flesh is emboldened excuse me, spirit is emboldened. When we don't, flesh starts to get puffy. When we speak to each other in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, like it says in Ephesians, we build up the spirit. I don't really want to go to church. I can worship right in my good old millennial home. I can plop open that computer and I'm right there, so why do we have to get out of our jammos? Because you need it. And you know what else? I need it. I need to see Susie in church. I do. I need to be encouraged. I see her doing her little job after church. I don't even know what her job is, but I see her doing it. (laughs) I'm encouraged to do a little job myself. What do you do back there? I just make sure the
1: kids' rooms are cleaned up and I unlock all the cabinets.
0: Cleans up the kids' rooms, of course. Is that not encouraging? Sure, it is. It's an encouragement to say, Oh, I need a little job. Somebody give me one. I'll, I'll take that other one. <laughs> when I was down in El Salvador, mornings were glorious there. Glorious, glorious. Those four got all hot humans. and humid. And I go out and sit on this picnic table outside my room, and I take my phone and, and put my, my I, you know playlist, and I got one, one that says spiritual. What a nice playlist. <laughs> and I, I'm into, uh, I raise a hallelujah. And I get to the punchline of that song, sing a little louder. I cannot sing. <laughs> if I remotely find the note, it's an amazing thing. I'm singing at to the top of my lungs out there. And the kids came out of the dorms and were kind of laughing at me.
1: Yes.
0: All right, I was encouraging them, I was encouraging myself, I was building up the spirit. Look, we've got to boast in the right things. We don't boast in our ability what, what does it matter if you can... Da, 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 da. What we have to boast in is what Christ has done for us. My boasting is supposed to be focused only on the cross. I got nothing. I bring nothing to the table. Boasting in the right thing. Boasting in the cross. He says, when he finishes up in verse number 15, he says, neither, uh, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, what counts is the new creation. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Just back up a few pages. Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation. I, I am not the same person that I was 51 years ago. I am being renewed. I am not there yet. It's not all perfect. It certainly is not without sin. But I am in the process. And where should my boasting be? In that process, in the cross. It's because of what Jesus has done. There's a great song it was on one of my playlists or on my playlist that I was playing out there it's a casting crown song called only Jesus Do you know it does anybody know it Do you know it but part of the part of the lyric says this I don't want to leave a legacy I don't care if they remember me only Jesus I have only one life to live I will let every second point to him only. I do good by boasting in the right thing. Lord, you uh, finished off Galatians with some real practical instructions about how to do good. No doubt there was something that came to each of our minds while we were looking at this passage. Something that in the context of Maybe the holidays, there's something specific we could do beyond just the take somebody a meal or drop off some canned goods or invite somebody to our table. Maybe there's a a relationship we can restore because because you've restored us. Maybe there's a wrong we can overlook because there's such a list of wrongs you overlook. Maybe there's some forgiveness we can extend because we've been on the receiving end of such forgiveness. Maybe we could extend ourselves a little bit when we didn't really want to. Father,
1: help us to do good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.